Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. This is the closest game I've ever seen that wasn't... Like the last second play. Pete Thamel. Sully, can you name this podcast Three Men Yell at Cloud, Death to Analytics? Yes. <laughs> With SI's Pat Forty. There are more talented teams out there. There's better teams, but you better, you're going to have to bring it for 60 minutes to beat those guys. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. I welcome to the pod, Pat Forty. We're going to go right to you. Is it true? Your rental car was flipped over and destroyed in East Lansing. <laughs> and is it also true when you got back to your hotel that the mattress was gone burning in the street? Did that happen, <laughs> Pat Forty? Did Michigan State fans know it was you? Fake news. Real news that somebody's car was flipped over, vandalized, and had the windshield kicked in, but it was not mine. Myself and my VW Touareg that smelled like Brussels sprouts that I rented from the Detroit airport uh, survived unharmed. Ah, Although sitting in a car that stunk that bad for as long as it took to drive to East Lansing and back was not blessed. If you peek inside the soul of Michigan State, there's a little bit of West Virginia. Just a little bit. <laughs> there's a little bit of a couch on fire if you look hard. Oh, yeah. Like you need an oh, MRI. Yeah. If you get an MRI, I don't Michigan think you State have soul. to look far. You can see the glowing <laughs> flames. You just in have the to street. open up Twitter. <laughs> It's right there, right outside the stadium. I don't understand the concept of burning things when you win. I don't okay. either. I don't really get it when you lose, but I I can conceptualize just being so <laughs> angry that you're like, screw it. I'm going to burn my old couch or my <laughs> mattress so I have nowhere to sleep. I, I All right, you've just blind rage. But when you win... What is it? I I have no idea. Makes less than no sense. As I said in my column, a special kind of stupid. You know, I just don't get it. I, I actually feel bad for Michigan State uh, as a school and the many, many alums. I, I have tons of friends who are alums, relatives. I have a nephew up there now. I have nieces and nephews gone there. So many pe- co-workers we've all had. It's a great school. And, and there's one thing Michigan State f- student an alum spends like half their time is like, we're just as good as the other schools. We're not, not a, just a party school, not this wild place, not a safety school. And then they have this big day, this exciting. I mean, the fa- Pat and I were both there. The alum, the crowd was just phenomenal. 
and this is in a driving rain and 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 not a you know beautiful day and the parties and the the spirit of Michigan State and this incredible victory it was all there and then all the headlines and the videos are of these bunch of idiots deciding they're going to turn over cars smash them and and you go yeah I wonder how you got that rep because you can't just say we're the other schools when nobody else does this except West Virginia for some bizarre reason. (laughs) Like Tennessee got a lot of heat a couple weeks ago and they threw crap on the field and they deserved it. But other people also throw stuff on the field sometimes. But nobody flips a car and destroys it in victory. And then you sit there and go, yeah, explain that little cultural tick you've got there, Michigan State, because I... I'm with you until things are burning in the courtyard. Yeah. People are just watching other people kick the windshield into a car. Uh, Whose car? Yeah. Poor guy. And they should be, they've they've beaten Michigan, what, because Harbaugh's what, three and four? Ten of the last 15 times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this isn't (laughs) like this, like, novel once a generation thing. Like, they have been consistently beating them. Yeah. It, it is mind-boggling uh, how somebody decides that's how I'm going to celebrate. I am so happy that I am going to help tip over this car and then sit there and watch other people kick in the windshield or per- perhaps just personally kick in the windshield. And then, yes, let's go light things on fire. It's different. Yeah. It's, it and, is, like, well. everything's going to be on video. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, any knucklehead right. who's kicking in a windshield is going to end up getting suspended or expelled because the school's going to be embarrassed. Arrested. Yeah, they arrested like, people. Surely. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. understand. It's, it's a weird concept. And it's too bad because it it absolutely is like that's the reputation that the school spends all its time fighting against. And then even on their best days when the, everyone's paying attention and, and you know, you go, oh, it's just a few kids. It is just a few kids. Just a few of this. See that? Nobody's seeing all the kids go to class on Monday. They're watching, you know, this is the, the stuff that's on national TV. So just sucks for the school but i i don't know why for decades now this has been the tradition at that place they would do they'd be well served to <laughs> to defeat that tradition yeah and that like you said on the best day this is like one of the best of days you know the best since they won the big 10 championship in 2015 you're undefeated you're in the top 10 michigan's undefeated michigan's in the top 10 in your stadium as Dan said, the atmosphere was incredible. You fall behind by 16 points. You're about ready to get run out of your own stadium. And then you come back and win that game, and you're 8-0 and sitting there. And, I mean, we'll see where they're going to be ranked by the playoff uh, selection committee, the number five uh, with the AP. I think they should be higher than that. And, I mean, this is, this is that was a great day Saturday. About this game, 37-33 yeah. Michigan State. Michigan State erases a 16-point second-half deficit. Pat and I were sitting there next to each other, and I don't, how many times, I would say, if I didn't say it, five times at least, where I said, if this play goes this way, Michigan's got it. The, yeah. the, 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 the tipping point play, there were at least five. And on all five of them, if not more, maybe there were about seven to ten, another guy said to me, Michigan State made the play or Michigan didn't make the play. Like, it was so close to Michigan winning. There were also seven video reviews. (laughs) They all went Michigan State's way. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong, although, you know, eh, you know, some of them are real close. But when you go 7-0, and you don't get one of those, just go your other. This is the closest game I've ever seen that wasn't like the last second play. 
like the, right. they threw the Hail Mary or the 10th, ninth overtime, whatever. Like Michigan could have won this game, I would say, on on five to seven different plays and all seven calls, maybe, or, or at least five of those. Michigan wins. And they might curb stomp them. I mean, that Hutchinson fumble recovery in the end zone. I mean, that was a huge play. And it's like, yeah. oh, the guy's ankle bone is just and <laughs> You know, there were catches. It was just, just above the blade of grass and the the two point conversion that you and I both thought, man, I don't I don't think that that, you know, I think the Michigan kid took it away. It's just everything went and credit to Michigan State. They made the winning plays and won this game. But what a heart wreck for Michigan. Like These coaches have got to be just staring at that film today going, how the hell did we lose? Oh, that's that's a tough watch if you're a Michigan coach. Yeah, looking at the film of that because you're you are right. I mean, it was this was the absolute cliche game of inches. You know, one inch this way, one inch that way on so many different things, and everything just came up just right enough for Michigan State. And uh, they they made a lot of great plays too. I mean, they really did. Like the the fourth and fourth throw Peyton Thorne made when they threw the fly pattern to Jaden Reed, and he just dropped it in there perfectly. And Reed was sensational on that drive. You know, that was when they're down sixteen, and they're about out of the game, and they just kept making plays to get down the field, and then they score, and then they get the two, and then they score, and then they get the two. And as Penn State and Illinois showed us, it's hard to get two points sometimes in the Big Ten, but they did it <laughs> twice. I mean, uh, it was, but yeah, that was one of those games where, yeah, if, if you're a Michigan fan or a Michigan player or a Michigan coach, you you will be nauseous thinking about that game for a long time. Kenny Walker the third gets the highlights and deserves it. Heisman campaign, 197, five TDs, scored all their TDs. Incredible. But that game was won with grit. And it, it, it had flash. And that's why it's such a great game. Go ahead, Pete. So let me ask you this. I wasn't there. Obviously, you guys were there. I watched on TV. Unbelievable, compelling theater. I know Pac Hall did the game of the year in college football. It'd be really hard to argue uh, that that notion. So watching from afar, and I texted Dan this at one point, how much of this do you put on Harbaugh? Like, I really thought like the substitution at the goal line and their inability to adjust to the tempo was something that was coaching. Now, again, there were a million things and a million barrels, but a game of that many inches, it seemed like there was no adjustment to try to contain Walker that, especially in the goal line, they just couldn't, they couldn't adjust their defense. So I'm curious. You were they there. Got, I don't know if either of you they saw got caught with the with the the sub pattern. They, Tucker Tucker uh, ran them early on the subs. They they adjusted to that. I I mean it's 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 hard. So I have two theories on this. One is like if a video review goes this way, or the the ball is thrown one millimeter below someone's feet, or you know how how much can you put on coaching when you've got that? But at the same time, when like I said, ten to twelve variables in the game all went against you, is that coaching? You know, I mean, I don't know. The Michigan team played hard. Mm-hmm. They're good. They threw the ball. I mean, J.J. McCarthy just drops the ball. Like, is that coaching? You don't put him in the game. That was one thing that I didn't understand from afar, and I didn't watch the game unimpeded. Yeah, like, what do you – like, and McNamara was playing well, I thought. Yeah, so with the the McCarthy thing, they had subbed him in a couple plays here and there, and I thought fairly effectively. Uh, You know, McCarthy had a good run. I think he had one throw. Uh, a little bit of a change of pace guy. You're looking at him differently, much more as a run threat than McNamara. So you got to think a little differently. And as Dan pointed out during the game, you're keeping two quarterbacks happy. But second half of that game, 
at that point when McNamara is playing as well as he is and they subbed him in then and it was very interesting in the Michigan post game somebody threw Harbaugh a lifeline while asking the question about why McCarthy was in there they said was Cade you know physically able to go and and Harbaugh accepted the lifeline said he was working through some stuff at that point and I don't know about that. Now, he got blasted uh, on a play on a great zone blitz by Michigan State, a great call, and he got rung up hard. But then he came back the next series. There was a long Michigan State series, and then there was a long Michigan series that McNamara was in and led them down for a field, the go-ahead field goal. And then McCarthy comes in. When they've got the lead with, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter, and that's when that play happened. So I don't think it was a physical thing. I think it was we're going change of pace here, and it blew up badly on him. It's hard to say, you know, yeah. with, it's hard to say. It just was so many. I mean, how about the, the, a second crushing loss, Michigan to Michigan State, where there's trouble with the snap, right? Like that play. Like they're, they're at fourth. <laughs> yeah. They're about, if they, I remember I said they were at fourth and one. I said, if they get the first down, I, I think Michigan's got this game. And instead, they get a false start. Then they punt. He bobbles the ball. Then he's running. The punter runs. He's almost got it, but doesn't. Like so many, li- it just was a crazy yeah. game. Mel Tucker's team, though, is so resourceful that yeah. they 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 never blinked. Man, they no. never blinked at what was going on. They were getting they were getting smoked in certain phases of the game. They couldn't block the the defensive line on passing. They, there was a stretch where Kenny Walker couldn't run. Yeah, it was a lot of, and they just keep coming. You know, this chopping wood, chopping wood. I, I wrote in my column. It's like I roll your eyes and laugh at these stupid phrases until you watch it work. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, chopping wood. Let's do it. Yep. Like Thorne is a he's a good quarterback. He's not like a you know a, a guy you look at and say he's going to be an NFL star. Jaden Reed is not a big guy, but those two guys have got something special there, and they've been playing together since middle school. Uh, their ability to make plays together, and then Kenneth Walker has got something special too. You know, they've they've just kind of coalesced this the offense around those guys, and then they've you know they brought in a bunch of transfers on defense, and they're making plays for them. Uh, they just they yeah they've got enough guys, and then they just keep damn chopping. You know, it's it, it's it's pretty remarkable. So let me ask you this: You've now seen Michigan State live, both of you, Pat. You were up there for a feature and were around the the, the program and been have a good feel for them. Can can Michigan State beat both Penn State and Ohio State? Uh, I mean, I, I still think I, I thought all along that Ohio State's the most talented team in the Big Ten and should win the Big Ten. I, but I also see, you know, like Ohio State and Pete, you were there right at the horseshoe Saturday night. So I, I, I was not, obviously, but I, I was watching Ohio State thinking, why aren't they winning this game by 21 points, you know? And there's just enough defensive lapses and you're letting Penn State hang around and hang around and hang around. You know, they're going to have to play. Whoever beats Michigan State's going to have to play really well to do it. There are more talented teams out there. There's better teams, but you better, you're going to have to bring it for 60 minutes to beat those guys. Walker gives them that elite burst of talent that I think can make the Ohio State game very interesting. I don't know. I don't know if they can beat them. I didn't know if they could beat Michigan, and I'm still not sure how they did, but they did. And I don't know how they beat Nebraska. I think they didn't have like a first down in the third and fourth quarters. Like, oh, yeah. They did. They were, yeah. Right. Um, I don't know, but they do. And when you have one of these teams that 100% believes, and you have a very good coach, like that, they were well coached yesterday. They made 
a, you know, terrific adjustments. They, they, they found ways to get things done. Uh, and that ball gets rolling. I don't know. And I don't think this is the greatest, uh, Ohio state team. Would I, would I, do I think if we're picking the Ohio state, Michigan state game right now, taking Ohio state, but I'm not going to put anything past this, this Spartan team. Uh, particularly after what I watched yesterday, they should have lost that game. They probably should have lost by three touchdowns. They won by four. I don't know. Are they going to go seven and zero on v- video replay reviews again? <laughs> probably not. I mean, just even if they're all right, one of them's going to be wrong right. against you. Right. Right. And I mean, that's that the key Hutchinson one. The, play the, was the, the one that was so close with the leg, the ankle, the shin, whatever. Oh, that's yeah, a, that I was, was surprised. a four point play. I was surprised. That, that was an that, overturn that really didn't look like there was a lot to overturn. And that was a four point play. It's a four point game. So, you know, was it such a good game, Dan, that Pat couldn't even bemoan his terrible pick? <laughs> Dan's picks were as bad as mine. Wait a minute. I <laughs> no, the only but, game I won. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> Real time was Pat so wrapped up in the game, he was not concerned with his yeah, pick. Yeah, he was not. I, all right. I that's that's a testament. Because we know Pat focuses on his picks. <laughs> the race for the case went went terribly awry <laughs> last week. Oh, my God. I told so you bad. I hated my picks. Yeah, I warned I didn't you, feel good and I was right. Either. At that yeah. very moment, I should have switched them all. I would have gone five and one. Instead, I went one and five. Pat went one and five. Sully went one and five. Even Golden Boy Pete Nostradamus went three and three. <laughs> it was a bad mean, week. We apologize to the gamblers. Sorry. And let me just tell you something, Lane Kiffin. Kick the damn ball, buddy. Kick the ball. What? You cannot tell me that Lane Kiffin understands advanced mathematics. He does not. Come on, There's dude. No what are you doing? It's that fourth and six. You too. got no. Your offense sucked. You got no receivers and you're going for it? Kick the ball. I, I pondered. So I I was watching that game on my laptop at the horseshoe and watching the, the proceedings. And Ryan Day has that same offensive first DNA and gambled on a fourth and two, called the right play. Chris Olave was wide open. So wide open that when the, the Penn State defender was out of position, leapt for the ball from the press box, I thought he must have tipped it because there's no way that like that ball could not have been completed. Like in it, it was all of a sudden then he left them vulnerable to, to, to lose the game, which happened in the Indiana game last year today. Obviously he over gambled in that Oregon game um, as well. And I do wonder if God like strike me down for saying this, we need some more D'Antonio in our lives in football. <laughs> like we've gone over analytics and I like love yeah. gambling. I love fake punts. I love fake field. I like outside kick all day. But it just does seem Did like you see the analytics guy roll his eyes too uh, behind Kiffin on on the broadcast. Like when he went for it on fourth down, like that you could see the coach behind him, and he just like rolled his eyes when they were going for it. It was so funny. that's pretty funny. I did not yeah. see that, but I do feel like that. There, I was in a coach's office a couple weeks ago, and he was kind of chuckling at the analytics because he's just like they don't account for like momentum and feel yeah, and right. the feeling of charging back on the field coming through. And I'm, I'm not saying that like guys should stop going on fourth down and stop being aggressive or anything like that. But I do think like there has to be some like game management, like what, what decision helps us win the game? Not what does the book say? So I, I just, that, that delicate balance I feel like has been gone this year and it's not just lane or day, but it's, you, you see it more and more and more now. And you've seen it 
cost as many games as it helped win. I, I there's no way to quantify it because then we'd be going back to to, to analytics. But um, yeah, punt a little bit, kick some field goals. Like it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's been an interesting trend to see to see accumulate. And if you didn't see it, we're talking about Auburn beating uh, Ole Miss 31-20, among other plays. And and Lane Kiffin just kept going for it on fourth down. I mean, fourth and six is not fourth and two with Chris Olave. They didn't have Chris Olave at Ole Miss. My thing with with analytics in football, I've said this all along. Uh, yes, they should they should go for it more often. But this definitive belief that your math is right. What is the analytic of? Right. Is this like is the analytic of can? Matt Corral get the ball to a receiver, a, a third string wide receiver, and, and on fourth and six, you have this percent, or is it all plays? Because I always say, like they used to do in the NFL, and I'd be like, well, yeah, go for it on fourth and two if you have Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> yes, that's right. a very high, that that percentage play is. You can't just do the the like what what number? There's so many variables. Is the are you dealing with a second string quarterback? Do you have momentum? What's the emotion of a game? Sometimes you just need points. Hey, we're still in this. We're one score. When Michigan State was down 16 to go back to the other game, Tucker said he's running around the, the, the thing. We're down two scores. We're still in this. We're still in this. Two touchdowns, two two two-point conversions. So that's very hard. But a bunch of 20-year-olds are like, yeah, we're still in this. We're still in this. And so sometimes emotion, and, and you see it with State, they were always in that game where Ole Miss just kept walking off the field like defeated. And, and and I don't care about your math problem. There's too many variables for me to believe you have accurate analytics to where you're making, you know, real close decisions on things because personnel matters on your side and their side. It happened, it happened in the first half of Ohio State, Penn State. James Franklin did it. They're right at midfield. It was fourth and short. And. Ohio State couldn't piss a drop on offense in the in the first in the first half. They certainly couldn't run the ball. I, it, it was the the Penn State run defense from one week ago to this week is the most baffling thing to me. I can't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah. But from three hundred and fifty seven yards to Illinois yes. to Yes, they made Illinois look like they had the Pony Express. And then Travion Henderson couldn't wriggle out of anything in the first half. He was running into a cement wall. They had like nineteen yards on whatever carry. So Penn State has momentum. Their defense is stopping. They could pin them with a punt and it kills some momentum. Instead, they hand them the ball back at midfield. And it's just like one of those things where like five years ago, nobody would have gone for it on fourth down there at midfield. And I'm not saying that cost Franklin the game or, or, or anything or, or anything like that. And I do think it didn't translate or, or, or backfire. Uh, yeah, Ohio State ended up punting. They went three and out and punted. So it didn't matter i guess on uh on that but it was just it was just one of those bizarre things where you're like okay this it, it is mattered because you get you punt it down there they go three and out and punt it back to you you're at midfield yeah, yeah. exactly that, that and i believe yeah. i'm looking at the drive chart here i believe that is uh that is what uh that is what happened uh ohio state went three and out oh i and then Penn State. I, I don't trust these analytics. The analytics has gotten to the point where it's like this is the this is the hard and fast scientific rule. Math says do this, and it's like, dude, all math is is whatever data you're putting in, and there's no way you have the accurate. What's the percent on on that situation of Ole Miss on the road with this personnel against that personnel and the confidence? It's 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 just it's not a math equation. It's football. It's not absolutely, and that's to see there there's. Two things at work here, I think. 
One is, you know, football has become so big and important that we're just going to throw staff at everything. And so if we need more staff, by golly, well, let's just get some number guys. And so they'll pay your number guys to come in and, and, you know, crunch all the numbers on everything. And then that gives you plausible deniability. Well, it didn't work well, but that's what the analytics said. Let's just throw that out there. There's your, your blanket answer. Well, analytics said to do it. And there's your, your get out of jail free card. Also, fans, for the most part, now want you to go for it. Okay? So if you've got the fans behind you and the analytics behind you, there's less chance that you're going to be booed off the field when it doesn't work. But at the end of the day, win the game with the best chance for your players to do what they need to do. And sometimes that's punting. Sometimes that's kicking field goals. Sully, can you name this podcast Three Men Yell at Cloud Death to Analytics? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Death to Analytics pod. <laughs> Not death, but by God, put it in the corner yeah. at least. Well, so I think for Ole Miss analytic its way right out of the uh, out of the SEC West race, out of the top yeah. ten. Auburn analytic did way right into. Hey, now we're still here. Only got one loss in league. No more Iron Bowl. Auburn, baby. They can't some move. Stuff right? has happened in the Iron Bowl in Auburn before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, All yeah. of a sudden, Auburn's still there, and uh, Bo Nix. Played real well yesterday. And look at both. Have you, you get booked good, the Columbus Marriott yet? Your favorite Columbus, I Georgia Marriott? I, I, need, I need to get on that. That is, that is the Pat Forty Hotel. He is the Chamber of Commerce chair for Columbus, Georgia in that, uh, that, little, that little dive bar um, mm-hmm. with a bunch of beers on tap. So That's right. So Pat, Pat comes to Michigan this weekend, and, and they go, where are you staying? He goes, Jackson. Jackson, <laughs> Michigan. I didn't even know anyone ever went to Jack. I thought it was like a hollowed out town. Like no, they have hotels there. It is. And, and like I, I, I mean, I, I thought we were friends. Lots of hotels near my house. Nobody, nobody said, "Hey, I, you want to do anything Friday night?" Uh, no, no, I didn't hear anything. So you, anybody, so you just so. you picked this random place, <laughs> like not the airport, not Lansing, not Jackson, not outsmarted myself. Outsmarted myself. Closer to East Lansing. I figure noon game. Traffic's going to be bad going in. I'll get as close as I can, according to the little Marriott Hotel finder. Well, fine. I'm not miss. I didn't miss you. So, <laughs> is this the revenge for the fishing trip? I maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. I, I would have hung out with them, but no, I wasn't driving to damn Jackson. <laughs> well, that's. I. I would have been happy to stay in Royal or Oak or Oak Royal or wherever. You know. Jackson Either sounds one. like a made-up town from a Bruce Springsteen song where the factory got <laughs> shut down. <laughs> Burned out <laughs> Chevys. <laughs> That's where they get the spirit of uh, East Lansing. They're just trying to ruin cars so they have to make more. <laughs> Burn that Chevy. We'll get one more off the line over there at uh, Lansing Assembly. Uh, all right. Other big game. Saturday, number one, Georgia just houses Florida. Uh, debacle at the end of the second quarter. Stetson Bennett, our, our number one. You know, they always are like, well, the quarterback of the number one team should be a Heisman candidate. Anyone want to do the Stetson Bennett campaign? 10 and 19, <laughs> 161 TD and two picks. Doesn't matter. UF actually outgains Georgia by a yard. Doesn't matter. Georgia's defense is so good. So much talent. Uh, the discussion after the game went to is why can't Dan Mullen recruit? Is that fair or is it just unfair to expect anyone better than Georgia? I mean, is this, is it fair to say Florida's got to have better players? 
Mullen's point was we beat them last year. Our players were good enough then. What about this year? Pat? Uh, well, yeah, I, th- I think this was a bit of an overreaction, frankly. Because, I mean, look, I, I think Georgia is a touchdown better than anyone else in America right now. I would take them and give seven to Ohio State. I would take them and give seven to Alabama. I would take them and give seven to Michigan State. I would take them and give seven to Cincinnati. So I think they're that good. So losing this game, I, so I, I, that's why I'm a little bit surprised that everybody's like, oh, my God, look at Florida. Look at the shape Florida's in. This is probably cumulative effect more from other losses, you know, from losing to LSU and losing to Kentucky. But I didn't see this as the critical mass game where it's time to give up on Dan Mullen because everybody's going to lose to Georgia. Now, this was a little worse maybe than some people thought it was going to be, including the three of us because we were all stupid enough to take the 14 points. Uh, is there some truth to it? Yeah. I mean, Kirby Smart's recruited as well as anybody in the country, including Nick Saban in the last three or four years. You know, I mean, their recruiting class has been number one, number one, number one, I believe, right? The three of the last four They're years. Killing it. Uh, yeah. A bunch of them. I'll, I'll check, but I mean, they got five five stars committed for next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, five stars. It's, yeah. I mean, Kirby's point is, is legitimate and germane here that – uh, you, you know, the teams with the best talent should win. And, and he didn't say, it, but they have the best talent right now. So, you know, so does Florida need to recruit better to compete with that? Yeah, uh, I think so. And, you know, but but yeah, we're forgetting the fact that they did. They not just beat them. They destroyed them last year. They won the SEC East. They nearly beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Hell, they nearly beat Alabama in September. People have been throwing out there. You know, Mullins lost, I don't know, seven of his last nine to FBS competition or Power Five competition. Well, two of those were Alabama. One of those is Georgia. Everybody else is going to lose those games, true. There may have been some other bad losses in there, but I just I think this is a little bit of an overreaction right now. I think um, recruiting-wise, Florida does, should have better players. And I, I, I'm not saying they're recruiting terribly. But as I said last week, Florida State, neither Florida State nor Miami is rolling right now. Somebody right. needs to dominate that state in recruiting. Yeah. And so if it, it, there's those three and there's too many great players going to Alabama, going to Clemson, going to Georgia, going to Oklahoma, going leaving the state, going to Ohio State. That is my only thing. They, they should be better. I'm not saying they're bad and they have bad players. And I, I agree with Dan Mullen on, I mean, geez, we're. We gave Alabama the best game last year, and and you know, Georgia had a start, had a walk on quarterback. <laughs> like, where's the five star there at the most important yeah, well, position? Yeah, pretty good and, point. I do think they should be better because there is not appreciable competition the last five years from Miami a little bit, and definitely not from Florida State. And so, with that, well, where the hell are all these great players going? Well, you need to get a little bit more outsized portion of great Florida talent. But I don't know. Has anyone ever seen Sully and Stetson Bennett in the same room? Just throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> Good point. I, uh, I think this, I think the, the, the reverberation from this loss for Florida is how deep does Dan Mullen look at staff overhaul this, this offseason? I think the assumption is Todd Grantham is going to get fired, which will be greeted with a chorus of hallelujahs uh, you know, from there. But if you need to overhaul your staff to better recruit, that gets tricky. Do you still have Tim Brewster, a great longtime old school recruiter around? Do you need to get younger? Do you need to, 
really shake things up. There really are only like two young bucks on this staff. Uh, the corners coach, Jules Monatar, and then uh, Christian Robinson, the linebacker coach, who's really well regarded. Um, I think he actually played at Georgia, if I'm right. Um, do, like how much does Mullen have to overcorrect here to, to do that? Florida has struggled getting the best players from Florida. It's it's pretty simple. Uh, Alabama, when they've really started to build this thing, Crystal Ball started it as an assistant. They really started to go into Miami and get some of the best players. Like Florida has to go attack some of those strongholds and make them Gator strongholds again. Now, look, th- like we're, this is all cyclical, right? Georgia has done what you know they love to. It's great as you said, stacked classes. They've stacked classes. One great class on top of the next great class on top of the next great class. The problem with a year like this for Georgia is that I went through this with Jim Nagy and then with two national scouts who've gone through Georgia this year. We came up with a number, 17 Georgia players could get drafted. So Georgia could have more players drafted by far than any other team in the history of college football. So all of a sudden, when you lose some of these, you know, big, burly D linemen, I mean, the thing about that makes Georgia great is they just put defensive linemen in in waves. You just don't do that. Like, that just doesn't... That just doesn't happen where the best indicator of how talented Georgia is, is that Jalen Carter, big number 88, is technically a reserve. He has 20 quarterback hurries on the season. So he has six and a half TFLs, three sacks, 20 quarterback hurries. Now, again, I don't know if that's a quantifiable stat. If the NCAA tracks it, I'm sure ESPN stats and info and some of these places could do that. Like that is preposterous for a backup quote-unquote backup defensive lineman to have hurried the quarterback 20 different times. They have five different players with double-digit quarterback hurries. I mean, they're just, they're an embarrassment of riches. But those riches are going to go, and then we're going to see now if Kirby Smart can do what Nick Saban's done, is that balance this. Does does Munkin get a job, who's the, the, the talented OC, who's done a nice job with what he's had this year? Dan Lanning seems like he's going to be the bell of the ball in this carousel. He's about 35 years old, young, really sharp defensive coordinator. You've got to think he's going to be in the top five for the Broyles, like no-brainer, right? You can't be the architect of this defense, and he is the play caller. He It is his defense. He's really turned and changed. I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago to to put his own stamp on that like smart Saban system. He's evolved it and grown it to uh, to a better mousetrap. So it will be curious going forward. I, I say all that to say, what's to say that Georgia remains this far ahead of Florida next year when Florida was ahead of them last year? You can stack classes all you want, but when you start losing these swaths of NFL guys, it's just hard to you know add water and replace them. So I'll, I will be curious. I do think Mullen changes things. I do not think in any universe Dan Mullen is on the hot seat. I, I've chuckled at every reference I've seen to that on Twitter because I just don't think. Scott Strickland, remember, Dan Mullen had some lean, lean-ish years at Mississippi State, and Scott Strickland didn't flinch. I think he knows exactly what he has in him. Um, and I just have not gotten any sense from anybody at uh, from anybody at Florida. But this has certainly been humbling for Dan Mullen, and it will be interesting to see how he changes and evolves and it grows from this. Got to say one thing here. The, the, you said the, the problem George is going to have. That's the problem every coach wants, though, is have 17 guys yeah. get oh, drafted yeah. and then go out recruiting no and say, guess what? Watch the draft. Come to here, you're going to get drafted. So that's how you got five, five committed, five, five stars committed. Yeah. Five, you know, Georgia is absolutely stacked. All right, let's do this. First playoff rankings coming out Tuesday night. 
and we will uh we're gonna tape late. We're gonna tape late so we can get in the first rankings. We'll wait for this dog and pony show. Uh so don't expect us uh usual, you know, dinner time on the East Coast uh release on Tuesday. We'll be late because we're gonna we're gonna wait for the playoff committee show or whatever the hell they're calling it. Let's do this. I'll name a school. You guys, let's all figure out where they're going to be ranked and where should they be ranked. Okay. Start with an easy one. Georgia Bulldogs. One one. One one. No one uh, one. No, yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's gonna be a very easy call. Okay. Well, Oklahoma, nine and oh. Pat, think they'll be in the top four. <laughs> Eight. I wish the where they could should see be. Pat's face. Yeah. <laughs> Pat's face. They should be. Pat eighth. took a bite of a lemon in between that. Apparently, just as I was asking that question, they should be eight. Washed it down with sour milk and then a bush light. That uh, <laughs> they should be eight. They're probably going to be fourth or something like that. Um, yeah, I've, I, I again, I boy, am I just over the irrational Oklahoma love fest that's based on very, very, very little other than they've won all their games. I'll give them credit for that. You know, but so is Wake Forest. And I, I'm not sure Wake Forest should get any less love than Oklahoma at this point. You believe that? Think they'll be top four? I don't think Oklahoma will be will be top four. I do not have like a, a, a so I'm just going to start spitting arbitrary numbers and try to fit them around. But I think Oklahoma should be six to eight. I mean, look at this schedule. OK, 40 to 35 against Tulane at home. They crush Western Carolina. Who cares? 23-16 Nebraska at home. 16-13 to West Virginia at home. 37-31 at Kansas State. Might be their best win. Uh, Texas, 55-48 at the Cotton Bowl. They TCU, they beat 52-31. 35-23 at Kansas. They were losing at the half, or was it tied? Or uh, It was terrible. Yeah, they were down 10 nothing at yeah. halftime to the worst team and then in the they, Power they, 5. They beat Texas Tech, which fired its coach and gave up on its kids and is a shameful administration. 52-21 at home. Obviously, you know, they got at Baylor, they got Iowa State, they're at Oklahoma State. There's a big 12. They're going to play one of those three teams again. They got a lot of work to do, but I, I'm with you. I, how, uh, there's people voting them number two in the eight. Like, other than it says Oklahoma on their jersey, what the hell have they done? This this, is, this looks like Notre Dame without the loss. And nobody sits there and says, hey, you yeah. know, you go, great job this year. You guys are winning. Get You're finding a way to win games, but you ain't that good. Maybe you should prove it, but anticipate they'll be it, in there, but they shouldn't. Blue blood helium, which has always been a thing. And secondly, uh, you know, the, the the obstinance of voters that had them high to begin with and refused to ever move them down. Like when they were life and death to beat Tulane the first week at home after Tulane had been displaced by a hurricane and this game was supposed to be in New Orleans, but ended up in Norman. And they win that game by five points right there. Like, holy crap, move them down five spots. You know, and then keep them down there when they're skeeching by all this bad competition. And but no, no, by golly, if we had them in the top five before the season, we got to keep them in the top five because they haven't lost. That's that stupid. All right, well, this is what the committee is not supposed to do. They're supposed to look at all the things and and have a reasonable discussion and pay attention. And they don't right. They they have no preseason poll and they rip it up every week and they waste their time down there. Do you have any faith in them doing it right? (laughs) So, Pat, would you put Wake Forest ahead of Oklahoma? 
Um, maybe I don't know. I I I, I haven't really scrubbed Wake Forest's resume vis-a-vis theirs, like side by side. Um, I can give you I'm their schedule. Right Let now. me give you the wins. Okay, Wake Forest is Wake Forest. Yeah, looking is eight. at it. No, I had to beat Old Dominion, Norfolk State. Who cares? Uh, they beat Florida State 35-14. They they went at Virginia by 20. They went a close one at uh, against Louisville at home. They went in overtime at Syracuse. They win a <laughs> wild shootout with Army uh, at Army 70. And then they just trucked Duke. Not a lot on the not a lot of meat on that bone. Eight no. I wouldn't put nope. them in there. No. Nope. I think it's a comparable resume to Oklahoma's. They've had a couple more authoritative wins, maybe. You know, I mean, win by 20 on the road in a league game is good. Uh, but I just I I I would say like one of them should be eight. The other should be nine. The problem they have at Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. Uh, who knows if they can make it through that. Um, but if they do, and then the ACC championship game, they may not play a ranked team. Who knows? You know, and so they could really right. be, you could easily have a 13-1 and team, a 13-0 and team from the ACC without a whole lot to, uh, to come up with. Think about that. That's wild. A team in the Atlantic Coast Conference could go undefeated and not beat a ranked team. Yeah. That's and pretty, even go 13-0. I mean, yeah, Pittsburgh yes. spitting yeah. the bit, you know, is taking the luster off of the their campaign. Oh, there, their so. non-conference is the two easy games, and then the Carolina game is a non-conference game. Yeah. They play North right. Carolina, but it's not a conference game. So they end up with an ex- essentially an extra ACC game, but that's not helping them where if they had just played – you know, I don't know what South Carolina. I mean, yeah, South Carolina's like it, but you know what I mean. They played somebody else. You might have, hey, this decent non-conference win. Carolina's their non-conference win if if they can beat Carolina, who just lost to uh, to Notre Dame. Yeah, they've decided as a team to stop tackling at North Carolina. That was my takeaway from the Notre Dame game. So that's probably <laughs> yeah, going to help. Was Wake not Ford. a great, not a great defensive effort by uh, by the Tar Heels. All right, where do you put eight? No, Michigan State. I, I would put them number two. I had them number three myself going into this last week, and then you beat Michigan. Uh, I, I would move them up because I had Michigan number two, so I'd, I'd move them up. I'd, I'd have Cincinnati three. I think Michigan State and Cincinnati are close to each other, two, three. You know, I don't know whether those two will be there or not uh, with the committee. I have my doubts. I, I, we can discuss in a minute the dragging of Cincinnati. But, uh, I, you know, I think Michigan State has has shown a lot. Okay, I mean, there's there was some questioning of their resume, but they were the first team to go four and zero on the road, first team to get four road wins, and they were pretty authoritative wins. You know, you beat Northwestern by seventeen, you beat Miami by twenty one, beat Rutgers by eighteen. The Indiana game was close, but uh, you know they they've they've gone away from home and done some stuff, and then they had the big signature win in a hell of a game that I think if everybody watched it, you were impressed by both teams. Yeah, I would uh, I would put Michigan State three. I think that's uh, I think that's the, the the right place for them. They have certainly earned that in 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 every way uh, in every way possible. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting if they end up with one loss, which is to Ohio State. What their one loss candidacy is without a, without a league title. Once you start, you know, Ralph Russo plays that great game. Which one do you leave out? One loss, Michigan State could end up as a pretty intriguing. One loss. Yeah. All credit to Mel Tucker, man. That is, he is, uh, yeah. Send the uh, Eddie Robinson award. Send it to East Lansing today. It, it's it's won by Halloween. I, the job he has done is, I mean, it's almost off the off the charts. I mean, I don't know. Falling apart under D'Antonio at the end. Takes over late, if you remember. 
And they just didn't have any a lot talent. Of, I mean, there's some of these guys are D'Antonio recruited, but yeah, uh, there was not great talent. He gets the job late because Mark does not retire when he should have in the open. So they have to overpay, get, get him in here. They get him in and he he gets to Michigan State. He does not have great recruiting ties in the state. The first 30, 90 days of any coach in the country is going to be, especially in the spring, you know, you got spring practice to meet your team, and then you're going to run around the state, meeting high school coaches, meeting workout guys, running around the Midwest. We're going to lockdown. We're going to COVID. And he doesn't get to do any of that. Doesn't know his team. They went two games last year, albeit one of them's against Michigan, and then hits the transfer portal, meshes, meshes this team together. Nobody expects anything out of them. And uh, boom. I mean, it's just a tremendous coach of the year material. And that's why LSU and USC and man, the NFL is looking. I can tell you right now, the NFL has noticed East Lansing because he did a lot of years in the NFL and Mel Tucker is, is rolling. So it, it may be more bitters on that than just uh, than just LSU and USC and, and obviously Michigan State trying to keep. Them. So what he does, I don't know. My guess is he's probably not long for East Lansing, but certainly... Uh, you never know. It was, it was a special day yesterday for him. We may have talked about this a couple months ago. One thing I just want to give him the most credit for is D'Antonio was the single worst coach in college football to NFL scouts. They they were limited when they could go. They were limited how much they could go. He treated them, every one of them, like they were bank robbers coming to there. It would be like the business school not letting Apple come recruit their students. It's the it's the single <laughs> dumbest thing college yeah. football coaches can do. And Mark D'Antonio is the worst. So Mel Tucker, under Nick Saban, who is the single best at it, learned, completely changed it. And now the worst visit is Michigan, which has always been a terrible visit, but it wasn't as terrible as Michigan State. So Jim Harbaugh, if you're going to change anything, do not treat the scouts like they're on fire. Like they, it's just, I can't fathom how you would sit around in a meeting and go, let's be really mean to the guys who could make our players millionaires. Because you know what you do? Those fringe guys, those six, seventh round picks, they just, guys aren't going to be invested. Guys aren't going to be invested. Like when we write stories, if people call us back and are like loquacious, we're going to like probably write a better story, right? You're going to get a better time. You're going to have better access. You're going to have better information. And the fact that Michigan is still a Neanderthal about that is just that's administratively Ward Manuel should be ashamed and Jim Harbaugh should be ashamed. I have more scouts complain to be about going to Michigan and they're hurting their players and it's going to trickle down to recruiting. And don't you think Mel Tucker doesn't sit there and say, look at these scouts. We're feeding them dinner. We're letting them in. We're wide yeah. open. No, um, that is a, it just, it just that is one of the most bizarre things in in college football and basketball that some of these coaches do. I mean, you recruit a guy to your school and you sit there and say, I want what's best for you. You should do everything you can to get them to the, to the professional ranks. Like, why would you screw some kid over? And yeah, and the idea that they're going to leave a year early, that's that's just the ball game. You know, that's just the, there used to be yeah. that whole. Michigan doesn't talk about their draft eligible juniors. They won't even talk to scouts about them because Jim <laughs> Harbaugh still thinks it's like 1984 and everybody should mm. stick, Remember stick the around rev- for a while. Like the it's, revolution in basketball that yeah, went down because there's all those years of nobody. My kid would never, don't even come and talk to me. And then a bunch of coaches and most notably, and this is the one who, who got the turnstile going best was Calipari was like, I start talking to him about going pro when I'm talking to him as juniors in high school. 
Like, this is where you come in. We're going to get you out of here. And I didn't remember he used to celebrate. And he said once, like, five guys got drafted in the first round. He's got the greatest night in the history of Kentucky basketball, and all the fans got mad. But it's like, oh, you yeah. lost all your players. Oh, well, yeah. guess what? They Five more will show up. And so, I'll say you got to do that. But, yeah, it's how you treat your scouts. So, there you go. It's a random one. But, yeah, Mel Tucker. NFL scout coach no, of the year. Just, I just give Mel Tucker yeah. credit. Like, just give Mel Tucker credit. Like, these guys are just trying to do their job. They're not, like, going to go report to who you're playing that week that you're faking a punt. And I do think it shows how, like, Jim Harbaugh is so weird and so aloof that nobody could even talk sense to him. I guess his post-game press conference was, like, an abject disaster after the Michigan State game, which shouldn't be a surprise because every time he loses, Jim Harbaugh just, like, mumbles a few sentences and doesn't give anything. Well, the players were loquacious, thoughtful, like introspective. It just, it's just, he's a weird man. I don't know. I, I, didn't think I, it I don't was know. I, I was there. I listened to it. I, you know, I mean, I didn't think any of them were very good. I, I, I didn't think that Harbaugh was especially terrible or the players were especially loquacious. Yeah, I don't know. Play, I mean, the players were, were more loquacious, but, uh, and introspective, but I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, he wasn't answering a ton of questions, but no. I mean, I don't know what you're expecting right. out of that. I, I didn't think he was that bad. Yeah, I've just I've just remember him a few times after they lost, especially to Ohio State. That's probably usually when I see them the most. Where he was just like, I don't know. I guess he did that in the NFL too, so we shouldn't be surprised. He's, well, he's, he answers some questions in odd manners. There's there's no question. But I did not yes. think he was yes. too bad. He's, he answers every question like he's surprised someone's asking him. A he question. just basically they they would ask quirky. him like. Hey, Jim, um, you know, how disappointing was it that uh, the guy dropped the ball? And he would just say, well, uh, yeah, the guy dropped the ball. That <laughs> doesn't really say. But I, I did not think he was bad after that. I was standing there. I didn't think he was bad at all. His press conference was was adequate, coached it, had a crushing time. And, I mean, it's tough for – I mean, it's, didn't want to switch. We'll get back to who's getting in the playoff. But, I mean, it's tough for, yeah, for Jim sorry, Harbaugh. Yeah, I totally hijacked that. You know, he needs to beat his rivals. And – uh he, he isn't. So, all right, let's get back to it. The other undefeated team, Cincinnati, in the fo- top four, and should they be? Pat? Yes and yes. Boy, that, but I am, I mean, I am fascinated to see what the committee does. And where they start with them will matter. That, you know, the first one, where where do they, what's their view of them up to this point at 8-0? Uh, you know, have they, have they done enough to be in the top four to begin with, which is terra incognita for group of five schools. I think they absolutely should be, but uh, I, I've seen people already start to like throw tomatoes at Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I, I, and I, I love Heather Dinich. She used to work with her at ESPN. Uh, she's a friend, but she tweeted something citing ESPN stats and info. So this is really who my beef is with uh, saying that if Cincinnati makes the playoff field undefeated they would be the weakest team to ever make the playoff field and there would be nine one loss teams that made it that would be that's better the, than that's them the stat is like, math is whatever data you put in it has exactly. they, they could be they could be the greatest team in the history of football and they'd be the worst because of the where they play espn's fpi or whatever remember it was saying like usc still had a 23 percent that thing sucks like that thing sucks. Of all yeah, the like computer what? formulas out there, that one sucks. <laughs> but of course, it's. It, that, I, that I, is a I agree. I would like an explanation of what the hell it's it garbage. actually is. Uh, that, they're automatically going to have that. I don't know. Are they the top four team? I probably wouldn't put them in. I don't know. I'll say this, though. They're winning Notre Dame, which is a top 10 team, is other than Oregon at 
Ohio State might be the best win of the year. Man, yeah. it's, a, it's on the road against a top 10 team. How many of those are out there? So uh, there's that. All right, let's get to the other ones. Let's get to Ohio State and Oregon because this is already turning into Ohio State deserves in. And wait, who, who are the Ducks? <laughs> Ohio State, are they going to be in the top four? And should they be? They should not be in the top four to, to start. But I do think one of the defining debates of this next couple weeks is going to be one loss Ohio State versus one loss Oregon. And it would be very difficult for the committee with a straight face to put in Ohio State over Oregon, but I would discount that. If only there was a way to tell which team was better. (laughs) Yeah. And don't forget, Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Uh, Flo did not play And it was in the horseshoe. And they had a a couple other starters. And it was in the horseshoe. And it wasn't close. No. It was a seven-point game that Oregon never trailed and pretty well had in hand for a lot of the game. They had to withstand the late. Things got a little bit tight late, but that was a game that Oregon was the better team, period. So let me let me play the foil here. Ohio State has demoted its defensive coordinator, improved pretty significantly on that side of the ball, and they've made Travion Henderson their featured running back, and he is going to be a defining running back of the next 10 years in college football. I think he's tremendously talented and, and showed it yesterday with a couple of big bursts after struggling in the first half. So, like, it's a Ohio State has grown and evolved and are different and have performed fairly well, and, and I mean, remarkably well in three or four games and decent in, in, a, in a couple others since that game. So that is that is what you're going to have, like, you're going to have that moment in time and then what Ohio State's become since that moment in time that's going to define this debate. Because it is going to be a loud and, and raucous debate because really Oregon doesn't have much of a chance to give any kind of signature win from, from here on out. Oregon closes the season with a, bad Washington team in Seattle, a somewhat resurgent Washington State team in Eugene, but nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to give you a feather for for beating the uh, beating the Cougars with an interim coach. Now they have Utah and Salt Lake City. That is certainly a game that will have some heft. Utah is playing very well right now. They may uh, well again see Utah in the Pac-12 title game. So beating Utah twice could be very difficult. And then they have Oregon State, which is a good salty Oregon State team and give Jonathan Smith a lot of credit for for what he's been able to build there. But so they right now they have no top 25 games remaining. And the only chance they have for a top 25 game remaining, quite frankly, is if Utah beats them, then gets ranked in the top 25 and then they play them in the uh, in the Pac-12 title game. So whereas Ohio State is going to have to go to Michigan, who should still be ranked in the top 25, and they're going to have a top five Michigan State team come beat them at home. So the head-to-head argument is there, and it is what it is, but there is going to – Ohio State could build a pretty compelling argument Ohio on State the other will side win the argument, and they'll get in over Oregon, even though they played. This is why you need so a too. bigger playoff. Think, yeah, that's where Teams do get better. I'm not even disputing yes. the Buckeyes thing. Teams improve across the year, and that's good. And you do what you also want to reward as a sport, non-conference scheduling. And so, like, what was the point for Oregon? Like you yeah. go win that game. Right. You go the whole thing, you can't defy logic to an illogical system. And that's what they try to do on this committee. And that's why this playoff just is terribly designed. It was designed by people who didn't want to design a playoff. They didn't study it and do what they did on the other thing. And they came up with this crap. And so you sit there and go, wait, how wait, they they played each other and one team was on the road and they didn't have all their best players and they won handily. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, that's 
See that? Well, that's the point. And Pete, you you absolutely nailed the the tension of this thing. It's going to be Ohio State got better, but Oregon was better that day. And to me, I think you have to default to to what happened on the field between the two. But I know that Ohio State, bigger brand name, uh, and they will have gone through a high profile end of the season schedule. And then and then the default is just well, we were young. And we had the wrong guy being our coordinator. But that's also on you to have the wrong guy being your coordinator. You can't really just say, well, that doesn't really count. You know, I mean, so, but that's, that is absolutely the argument provided both these teams keep the media, winning. And going media forward. cry will probably be behind the Buckeyes. So, all right. We, a few more TV sets in, uh, in the state of Ohio than there are in the state of That's supposed to matter <laughs> when you're in there in that committee. Oregon has better wineries. Ohio State <laughs> has more TV sets. <laughs> uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, 7 1. We got, you know, they got, Basically, you're gonna have to beat Oklahoma. We'll see. If, we'll see if anyone comes out of the uh, of the Big Twelve. But that is where we're at. All right. Uh, we like to hand out uh, the Heisman every week because we don't like to wait. So uh, our small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? All right, I'll go first. Uh, my small sample Heisman. Hey, I loved watching Kenneth Walker in person in Spartan Stadium. He was dazzling. In terms of the large sample Heisman, he's probably at the top of my list right now. But for small sample for today, I've got to go back to my guy Tyler Algier at BYU, who absolutely trampled Virginia. Virginia so didn't was so tired of tackling him in the second half, they just stopped trying. 29 carries, 266 yards, nine yards a pop, five touchdowns. This guy's having an unbelievable season. He was He's played linebacker. He's played running back. Uh, but he's had two 200-yard rushing games this year, plus 191 against Washington State. He is the finisher of games. He closes games for them. Tough, hard runner. Goes through people, not around them. And he just so happens to have the best defensive play of anybody this season as well because he was the guy that had the flying come-from-behind tomahawk punch-out of the fumble return against Arizona State back in September, if you remember. So Tyler Algier is my small sample Heisman winner, and he may well end up on my big sample ballot eventually when this season is over. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the unusual step of giving my small sample Heisman this week to an obscure assistant coach. It goes to Terry Malone, who is the running back coach and offensive coordinator at Bowling Green. Scott Leffler, the Bowling Green head coach, got thrown out of the game against Buffalo on Saturday for two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. I've seen multiple people report he's the first head coach in FBS history since they changed the rules about ejection in 2016 to get thrown out of the game, which is just amazing <laughs> if you really think about it. Like, I just, I, when it happened, I was like, I've never, I texted it to the group. I was like, I've never seen this happen before. And it's actually never happened before. We've all seen like Bob Huggins get two technicals and get chucked or whatever it is that happens in basketball a couple times a season. And even then, it's rare, very rare if somebody gets chucked in an NCAA tournament game per se. But a college football head coach, had not been tossed until Leffler. And so what does Bowling Green promptly do? Scott Leffler is the play caller. Terry Malone takes over the play caller, and they promptly score four touchdowns in the fourth <laughs> quarter. And this is from uh, ESPN.com story. In 18 minutes after Leffler's ejection, Bowling Green scored more points than in any full game over the last two seasons. There you go. I need a raise, coach. That's amazing. They also beat Buffalo. 
by the final score of 56 to 44. So somewhere Terry Malone right now is an old offensive coordinator at Michigan, Dan. I'm sure you ran across him up there. Uh, he's an old hand. He's been around for a while, is, uh, is, is smiling, and uh, we will be sending a small sample Heisman to Bowling Green. All right, I'm giving it to uh, Houston cornerback and returner Marcus Jones. You want clutch? SMU ties the game with UH uh, at 37 with a 30 seconds left. And there ain't a whole lot Houston's going to be able to do. They could try to mount some drive, but whatever, to try to get in field goal range and win this game or this thing's going to overtime. SMU, which is 7-0 and at the time, ranked 19th and had a chance to set up an incredible uh, game against uh, Cincinnati that Cincinnati really could have used, uh, makes the ill-fated decision to kick to my guy, Marcus. For the ninth time in his career, he catches the ball and goes all the way to the house, touchdown. Ninth kick return career. Terrible decision. Shoulda, shoulda squib kicked it. Shoulda put it out of bounds at the, the, the five and take your penalty. Shoulda done anything you possibly can then give it to the one guy who can beat you. He went out and beat you. And now SMU has a loss. Epic, epic play. And so I'm giving my small sample Heisman, mainly plays decent defense, I'm sure, but mainly on the uh, strength of uh, the one great kick return. Good job. Marcus Jones. I mean, that it's, is a terrible decision by Sonny Dykes. My gosh. I think he, Sonny Dykes just wanted to send a message that he didn't want to go to Lubbock to take the Texas Tech job. He <laughs> said, you know what? I'm going to make coaching malfeasance so strong that they wanted to hire <laughs> well, Jeff they, Trailer they, instead. That was a remarkably they, dumb decision. It, it, there's a little bit. I mean, they weren't stopping him. And if, if you give yeah. him at the 35, you get a you know, like in 30 seconds left, or you give it to bounce that thing, bounce, bounce the, the kick. kick, man. Can't give it to the it, home run it, hitter. It, yep. I mean, it'd be one thing if just yep. anybody no. did it. But this is your ninth career kick return right. for a touchdown. <laughs> what is what is the record? <laughs> I don't know. That's got to be near the record. If it's not, imagine how that SMU special teams coach feels today breaking down his film. <laughs> oh, oh. All right, we have said uh, some yeah. mean things on the podcast. Uh, some deserve, some not. Let's say something nice. Pat Forty, can you say something nice? I can, and I will, um, even legitimately this time. I'm going to say something nice about Notre Dame, uh, which keeps finding ways to win. And I made something of a deal before the season started about all of the games where they were playing, where their opponent was coming off an open date and had that bye week advantage over Notre Dame. North Carolina was the fifth one of those on Saturday. Guess who won? Notre Dame. USC was the fourth one of those. Who won? Notre Dame. Virginia Tech was the third one. Who won? Notre Dame. Wisconsin was the first. Who won? Notre Dame. The one they lost was Cincinnati, which is a damn good team. So I thought that would lead to multiple losses potentially for the Irish. And yes, granted, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, I mean, all those teams have been a bit disappointing, but still, Notre Dame has won the games. And this is not a great Notre Dame team. But Brian Kelly is doing a hell of a job coaching them. And for them to be sitting here with one loss going into November, uh, I am impressed by the Irish. I'm going to say something nice about Washington State. And somebody might have said something nice about them last week. But I'm going to I'm going to double down on take because they absolutely thumped Arizona State in Tempe. I believe Arizona State was about a 16 point favorite in this game. And Washington State absolutely pounced on them. They led 34 to 7 in the fourth quarter. 
All right. And it's telling that Arizona State had everything to play for in terms of the Pac-12 South and Washington State with their coach run. Now, look, they're still in pretty good shape. They've won four Pac-12 games in a row. Um, I'm not I'm not wishing that away, but they had a lot less to play for than than Arizona State. Arizona State was a home game. You're two touchdown favorite and they just laid a dinosaur egg. And you have to wonder if the administration, Michael Crow, the president of Arizona State and others are going to start getting into, you know, maybe we should just like take away this bull bid with this NCAA investigation coming and like get get things going because they've maneuvered to save the season there. The season is no longer saved. Give all the credit in the world for Washington State for kicking their tail up and down the season. You got to remember they have three analysts promoted to coaches and then two dudes they picked up off the street are coaching on <laughs> offense right now. All right. <laughs> and they absolutely ran Arizona State ragged. So all props to Jake Diggard and the Cougs. That was actually skillful, Pete. That cues to the tradition and the ethos of the pod where you said something nice but also ripped the hell out of another team. So that was good. <laughs> we try. We try. I've learned from the best, Pat. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say something nice. Uh, I was going to say something nice about Mississippi State, which is now 5-3 and three after defeating uh, Kentucky pretty handily. And they, they have been knocked out. Like, they were teetering to bad season like three, four times. They just keep coming back. Roland Georgia also wins the East, SEC East on that. But I am going to... Um, I am going to give uh, a say something nice to uh, a, a group of people: Chelsea Reppin, Claire Duffy, Rebecca Koppelman, and uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa Mayor Brad Hart. Uh, these four got together over last week and held the 2021 Best Tasting Water in Iowa contest. This is the judges. <laughs> I believe these four are of impeccable credentials and honesty, and they sat around and drank water all day from various places in Iowa that brought their water. Uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Mayor Hart who wondered, how do I uh, cleanse my palate in the middle of a, of a water tasting contest? Which I thought was pretty good. Uh, so uh, this is it. This is, this is where we find out just, is the Iowa Hooray Aim song a partial fraud or a full fraud? A partial fraud, because we know all the people in the video who sang about I never leave, how great it is in Ames and it's so great a place to live. We now know they live in Baltimore, in Georgia, the Marilyn married couple, and then in Boston. They all moved. They all moved. But but what about the water? Because that's all we hear about is the water. Well, here it is. Here it is. Okay. And the winner they is. They brought in the water. Here it is. Water came from Keokuk. Is that how you say it? Keokuk, Iowa? Yep. Okay. I don't know. That's an excellent pronunciation out of you. Cedar Falls, Ames, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, Iowa Lakes, and West Des Moines. These, this is the, the creme de la creme of Iowa Water Department. <laughs> the best of the best. The, the Super, super seven, yeah, this is a the battle super seven. Oh, my God. Water. WrestleMania. You know, I mean, this is it. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Not you, Ames. You liars. <laughs> Kia Cuck <laughs> Municipal Waterworks wins for the second year in a row. They were the defending champs. I didn't know this. Two years in a row. Kia Cuck is the is the is the champion Kia water. Kia Iowa. And wow. I just like to say, I had no idea they did this each year. How freaking boring is it in Iowa that they have water drinking contests? <laughs> That's the bottom line there. Yes. Is that <laughs> Every year you're going to get together and have a water tasting. My God. I love Ames. It's this plucky school. It, 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 it's, it, they love Bush Light. 
They got the great basketball and football crowds, passionate fans. Occasionally, they get some good teams, but they lie. They lie and pretend they're better than they are. They're uppity <laughs> on their water. They sit there and say they're the best when Keokuk, little old Keokuk over there in eastern Iowa, population 9,900, no one's singing songs about Keokuk. <laughs> Hooray, Keokuk. <laughs> Oh. Ames, you oh, are a bunch God. of liars. You're the lyingest city in Iowa. <laughs> there it is. The Wetzel investigation has reached its its climax now. We know that the, the, the singers were all frauds and the water itself is a fraud. I thought your next investigation was going to be the tuba at Spartan Stadium, but we, we probably don't have time to get into that. And no, we didn't even mention that Iowa State lost to West Virginia this week, uh, <laughs> oh, being of right. frauds, because yeah. that, that, <laughs> right? this Iowa State season has, has collapsed spectacularly. It's, 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 it's terrible. Can't even beat Kia Cuck in a water fight. <laughs> Let's get to that to- tuba because we're going to forget the tuba. So uh, that's real yeah, quick. If you're listening at this point, you'll listen Everybody for two- just hang with us for another you'll couple, listen for a couple minutes. minutes. So, I, you know, Pat at a game, he's got three different color pens. He's writing every play down, color court, run play, where it's just, he, he's paying great attention to the game. And as you might expect, I am not. <laughs> Less attention is being paid by me. I become obsessed with the fact that Michigan State made the Michigan band sit in the farthest reaches of Spartan Stadium. Like, it's like seven-story climb up to where they had... Yeah, the corner of the upper level. Nobody but a few passing birds flying south for the winter could hear (laughs) Hail to the Victors. (laughs) And then, to get for the halftime show, they had to walk all the way down. So they had to leave at the start of the second quarter and march all the way down. Yeah, I missed the whole quarter. This is the whole quarter. So they got to go up and down carrying tubas. Seven, seven, eight floors. Easy. So as they. This is actually what Wetzel was talking about and looking at during the game, by the way. This is why we don't spend Wetzel's game very often. I think think our editor is What's going on? Look at this. (laughs) The best game of the season is transpiring on the field. He's looking at the upper corner at the band. How much first half did you write? Okay, your little color-coded whatevers. Uh, so the band leaves to go down to the field, but they leave behind like five band members, a, which I don't understand what you didn't make the cut. Like your red shirt clarinet player they were theorizing, like they were red, red shirts <laughs> or something. Like you yeah. made it all. Was there a big red drum? Yeah, totally red stranded. shirt trombonist. Yeah. I you know, it's got to do a little more work in spring practice. I, what is this? You come all the way there and then you don't get, get to get stronger. on the field. Yeah. So that sucks. But work on your high step randomly. And I have a photo of this. Randomly, there's one extra tuba that is left behind. There's nobody near the tuba. It's just there. It's like one guy in the tuba section just said, I ain't carrying my tuba all the way down and back. I'll just go down there and hide in the bathroom. Maybe no one will know. I don't know what happened. Why was there an extra tuba at the top of Spartan Stadium, Pat? What hat? Where's the whose tuba was it? I admit it was a perplexing, captivating mystery. It was. Whose was it? Why was it there? Why was it left there? Uh, Anybody knows. It, drop, you know, me a, but the, drop me word. Why would there be an extra tube up there? Where is the tuba? There's a tuba still there. I don't know. I forgot to look as I, I got I got <laughs> the, the chaos at the end of the game. I didn't pay enough attention when they were leaving. <laughs> 
No tube they, is left behind. They left behind. it behind. Yeah, there might have been I one. I don't blame that Let's guy. See. It was left behind it's for like the halftime show. I'm my tube all the way down there just to play this stupid thing. You think maybe they play for like a tuba trophy or something? I think they definitely do. They, they <laughs> the take band. the band seriously. Yeah. They take these bands seriously. I don't understand oh. it. I don't know band culture. Do you need like a replacement tuba? Like, I, I, they, the, the, the tuba is now the most the most concerning musical instrument in the Big Ten other than the Purdue drum that is also a lie. <laughs> it's not the giant drum. It's not that giant. Giant, not the world's biggest, though. I think the tuba player might have busted a positive COVID test. Yeah, but how did he get up? Yeah, maybe he got, he got up there. Dan Wetzel, your new business card just going to say investigative Big Ten fan report. It's a bunch of frauds in the Midwest. Iowa's lying. Ames is lying. <laughs> Purdue's lying. Michigan's got the tuba's laying all over the damn place. It's a bunch of lies. Please end Here, this Keep podcast, it honest. Please. Somebody burn a couch. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs>